Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. So, wow, seemingly overnight, the whole world has been upended and feels like a lot of things are being, you know, un- unraveling. And I don't have a, a plan or written script or anything for, for today other than just kind of a, to, to reflect and try to get perspective. Um, been a lot on my mind in terms of, uh, you know, my students, uh, their families, uh, people that, uh, you know, fr- friends that are, were doing very well financially, they're not anymore, that they're also uh, afraid about uh, their own health and the, and the health of their families. Uh, thinking about like prison populations that are, you know, it's especially, you know, basically trapped and, and not going to be the, the ones where society looks to them and, and says, you know, you know, society is going to be gearing its energy towards other, you know, focuses. And, and those, those kinds of, uh, of groups are on my mind. And, um, it's, uh, it's tough. And I think usually, uh, you know, something like a national, national worldwide tragedy or, or crisis would bring people together. Um, but I think right now it's, it's, it's not, <laughs> Uh, it is sometimes, but it's but it's not in the sense that this is a this is a, an ongoing developing crisis. Uh, reports and, and and experts are saying that we're sort of bracing ourselves for the worst of it. Uh, there's a lot of blame for uh, what could have been prevented, and and there's not any agreement on on uh, really. Uh, where to go from, from here. (laughs) Um, and, um, I think the, you know, a lot of, a lot of philosophical questions for me, like, like long-term about, you know, where we go from here. But I think the biggest immediate, uh, question is, um, well, aside from all the, all the people that are emergency responders and, and, and on the front lines of this and keeping everyone safe, um, or trying to keep everyone safe, you know, besides all those emergency, like immediate precautions, I think the biggest question is going to be, um, what do we do to, to what's going to let us know that we've turned the corner and when do we start to go back to a semblance of, of ordinary life, uh, again because the the projections are that this is going to there's still going to be cases and this virus is still going to be around maybe for 18 months more and and let's say we let's say we flatten the curve enough to weather this uh initial burst and and uh we get over the peak of the curve and the curve starts to go down. At what point do we open things back up again? And I just have one quote here from, I think Andrew Yang's uh, doing a good job of uh, bringing data into the equation. Um, and here's a quote from, from him in an interview with, with Tim Alberta uh, a few days ago. 
and they were talking about, he's responding to a question. Uh, Tim Alberta says, like, do you know anyone that's been infected? And, and, and Yang, and this was a few days ago, uh, and Yang said, well, I don't really know because I've had some people get sick recently, but they, you know, how do we know who's been sick and who hasn't? Or if someone got sick three weeks ago, was it the uh, COVID-19 or was it something else? And, and he says, that's what freaks me out about this whole thing. I'm quoting from him here. What we're doing is saying things like keep your social distance and, try, and, and trying to stop the spread that way, which is fine. But we have shit for data. Like we don't know what the infection rate is. And so there's no reason we should, uh, that we would ever be able to give the all clear. If you don't have any data, this whole thing is a nightmare that doesn't end. When you close schools, what gives you the all clear to say, okay, open them up again? Nothing. There's no data uh, to compare it to. And he says it's a, it's a fear-based approach with no end in sight. And I, I think um, there is a lot of fear, and there's legitimate fear because we have a potentially deadly and, and serious disease that's circulating through the, the population. But I think regardless, and, and you know, for the most part, I think we can grant each other a, you know, good faith of, you know, people are trying to, people are trying to do things for the right purposes, for the most part. There's some, you know, people that are, that are corrupt or trying to um, take advantage uh, for their own sake, but most people are, are just trying to figure this out and, and uh, without any total solutions, uh, those questions are going to need to be answered. Um, so in, in, in three months and six months, I don't think anyone thinks that the long-term solution is, is having everything closed down. And I think maybe one thing that people are not thinking about as much is what are the real world, physical healthcare, uh, societal consequences of, keeping everything shut down for, for three months, six months. I mean, that's what would a worldwide depression even look like right now? We did not arrive at the current approach um, by some kind of deliberative consensus building um, rational process. Uh, we arrived at it by fits and starts, um, various decisions made by political leaders, particularly governors and uh, mayors, uh, and um, businesses making decisions on their own uh, to close uh, before and oftentimes uh, they were required to do so. But the current strategy uh, is to... Um, place priority and, and sole priority on flattening uh, the curve to try to prevent our healthcare system from being overrun uh, by serious cases. My guess is that we will also unwind uh, in uh, fits and uh, starts. Uh, the economic and human cost of the current approach. Um, uh, flatten the curve at all costs. It doesn't matter how many 
companies go bankrupt. It doesn't matter how many people lose their job. It doesn't matter what kind of societal alienations uh, occur. Um, it all has to be born uh, to achieve this purpose. Um, the cost of that approach uh, will, uh, will mount. Uh, it will mount rapidly and is mounting uh, rapidly. We will also see uh, the extent to which our healthcare system is stressed. Um, I believe the threat of it is overstated. Very few people who get it require hospitalization. Very few of those who require hospitalization require uh, intensive care. Um, we are seeing the hospitals trying to surge capacity um, uh, to delay uh, elective um, surgeries. Uh, to develop temporary non-ICU beds so that we can reserve the ICU beds. Um, I, uh, so I, I, I believe as the costs mount, and if our health care system is not overrun, um, the political pressure will be to open things up. And I think that's likely to occur in fits and starts um, the same way as the decision-making process that brought us where we are. Um, also, as more and more people um, get the virus, um, for the overwhelming majority of people, uh, it's relatively mild. And so as you're no longer answering the question, I don't know anyone who's had it, you're, you know that you have people who've had it, they stayed home for a week, and... They felt fine, uh, which is the overwhelming majority of experiences with this particular uh, virus, um, then I think there will be less of a willingness to pay the, the um, enormous cost that shutting down the whole economy represents. What I hope we don't lose focus on is the fact that for a segment of the population, the severity and lethality of the virus is indeed much more serious. Uh, and we do need to protect those populations. And we need to continue to protect those populations as we unwind uh, the total shutdown that we currently have for everybody. And that's in a, <clears throat> I know that you, you wrote a column about that and it's, you know, there's a, a lot of, and the governors and Doug Ducey got a lot of heat for not doing things sooner, of not closing down things sooner. And um, I think people see that it spreads a lot faster than 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 the regular flu. That it that it can be serious for more serious than than the regular flu. Um, that it's a whole different beast, and, and and there's a lot of stories of other other countries and other systems that are being overwhelmed, and they're and they're horrifying, and um, and it keeps getting it keeps getting worse and worse. So I I understand the 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 feeling of and the desire to to shut things down altogether, all and I I might maybe even be on the side of yeah, let's let's do that, you know. 
to, to keep the overwhelming system and to flatten the curve. But it's regardless, we're past that now. Everything, like most things are shut down. There's some cities that are doing, you know, shelter in place orders, but I don't even know really if people are, I mean, you still have to go to the grocery store, you still got to get food and you still have to, um, you know, at least get some sanity and some fresh air. Um, so I think, uh, you know, the, the, the concern that, I think is is important moving forward whenever we do start opening things back up is that it's it's not going to be an all clear signal. It's not going to be like, okay, all the cases are gone. Let's go back out. So inevitably you're going to have to open things up back up again a little bit or maybe bits and starts like you said. But when that happens, you're going to start to see more cases come out and then you're going to start to see a little more pockets of, you know, you know, burst of outbreaks. And then, and then what, do you bottle it back up again? Do you then close things again? So I think, um, a lot of people were upset by your suggestion that we, um, just kind of monitor and, and isolate the especially vulnerable people. But it seems to me that it, to open it back up again, knowing that this, we're not going to have a you know, 0%, you know, we're not going to get this down to zero cases anytime soon, that that is going to have to be part of the future approach when, when we get out of that. And it's, it's tough for me because like, okay, you say, you know, if you're a vulnerable population, you never get out, but you know, those people still have jobs that they might, you know, if you're, you know, I'm thinking of just like, like this, the this the people that serve school lunch, for example. Like if they're a vulnerable population, if that's the only thing they can do to make money is like, you know, clean houses or, um, you know, work at a fast food restaurant or work at a grocery store or do something where you can't work from home. How can you prevent yourself from getting infected if that's how you survive? If that's how you, how do you how do you it seems like obviously everything is is, is a is a is a trade off in in society because we're talking about societal decisions. But how do you protect? How do you make sure you protect all vulnerable people in, in such a uh, well, you're, you're, you're never, viral situation? Yeah, you're you're never going to achieve it a hundred percent, and the the existing approach isn't going to achieve it a hundred percent. Um, so you have to make decisions as to what kind of risks you're going to take as a society and what the cost of whatever course of action that you take is. Um, the cost of our current course, and, and let me acknowledge that I'm an outlier uh, on um, this particular point of view, um, but um, I believe that we could have achieved most of the public health benefits, um, and in particular... Uh, trying to make sure that our ICU units are not overrun uh, by uh, people with um, serious cases uh, by, instead of shutting everything down for everybody, um, focusing on th the people uh, for whom this illness um, does pose substantially greater risks than the flu, um, well, for most people, and I will disagree with your characterization, uh, it doesn't pose uh, additional risk to the flu, and that's a risk that we as a society just take in stride every year. 
and half of adults don't even bother to get a vaccine uh, against it. Um, but um, it is those vulnerable populations that are at significantly greater risk who are the ones who are most likely to need those ICU units. And so if we focused on them, um, I think that we could achieve most of the public health benefits of protecting the healthcare system against being overrun at a fraction of the cost to the rest of um, society. We will begin to see those costs es escalate, and we'll see whether there's a recalculation of what risks we're willing to run and what approaches we're willing to take, particularly based upon what happens to our healthcare system. If our ICU units are overrun, um, then there will be a desire to do what we're doing and do more. Uh, if our IC units aren't being overrun, then I think the political pressure to ease up on the devastating consequences. Now, uh, it, not everybody who is part of the vulnerable population can self-isolate, as you theorized about a person. Um, we ought to have targeted programs in place for those people. Uh, but we should focus on the people for whom this illness is particularly um, dangerous uh, rather than shutting down all of society and all of economic activities, putting um, massive unemployment for low-skilled workers, uh, which is a, uh, one of the state's uh, most prominent um, public health experts uh, told me, uh, or indicated to me, um, is has its own public health consequences that are not being factored into this equation. And what are some, what whatsoever. would be some of those over like I don't know six ten month period of time? Um, well, low skilled workers don't have resources if they're unemployed. Um, then, to the extent they had health care through their employer, they're going to have to go on Medicaid. Chances are the Medicaid system is going to be under stress as well just from ordinary illnesses um, not the extraordinary ones uh, and it's just mentally and physically unhealthy to be unemployed there's there's all sorts of correlations with all sorts of illnesses uh, associated with unemployment and long-term in, in unemployment and particularly if, if as you've accurately described there's no logical in where you can say things are going to go back to normal um, so I just think we need to, and, and, and I think it's highly unlikely that government programs are going to get up to speed or be big enough um, to compensate for the loss of income, the loss of opportunity uh, that uh, our current response uh, suggests. Now, this is the approach that we've taken. There's a strong consensus in favor of it. Uh, my dissent uh, is very much an outlier view. Uh, but as I said, as we got into taking this posture by fits and starts, I believe that as time marches on and we see the economic consequences, the human consequences, um, mount of this particular approach, uh, and we see what kind of strain the healthcare system is under, um, if our ICU units are not overrun, 
I believe there will be mounting political pressure and to start to uh, loosen up. What about some of the, um, I mean, throughout all this, you know, everything else didn't just stop. There's still politics going on. There's still an election going on. There's still international relations, you know, between the United States and in other countries. Um, all those things are still there. Um, people are still trying to get their kids educated. Schools are still trying to figure out how to, you know, whether to connect to, your, to, to their students. Um, it seems like this is going to basically have an impact on pretty much every aspect of human life for a while. Um, and, uh, this is, I, I, mean, I guess this is a political show. So, uh, how do you, how do you see that? I don't know. Impacting, I mean, even just campaigning is like radically changed overnight for this, for this campaign season. I mean, I, I think, um, certainly, uh, President Trump, Trump's, uh, erratic leadership, he, he's erratic on all subjects, but he's been erratic on this one, uh, will weigh heavily, uh, in, uh, the upcoming election. Um, one of his two claims uh, to uh, the votes of center-right people who don't care the way that he conducts himself in office has been the economy uh, and judges. Uh, we are in the process of trashing the economy, and I think that there is very little likelihood um, that uh, it will repair itself by uh, November. Um, so I, I, I think that um, there will be serious reservations and consequences for the way that the president has um, conducted himself during this crisis. It, it, just, it just highlighted everything that is negative about his style of leadership um, and takes away one of the things that, that uh, heretofore had been thought beneficial from his leadership, uh, which was the economy. Um, I don't, I, I think that by November, there will be uh, second thoughts about uh, whether uh, we needed to do all of this to achieve the public health benefits um, that uh, might have been achieved through a more focused, um, narrow approach. Uh, I think people will have um, more than more than second thoughts or reservations. I think there's a chance people will be mad uh, if if it's perceived that we didn't have to go about it this way. Now, if things turn out bad, if, if our ICU units are overrun, 
then I think people will say, no, this was necessary. We, we had to do it. We didn't have any choice. If that doesn't happen, um, I think people will wonder, and, and if a lot of people get sick anyway, I think a lot of people will say, why did we, why did we do that? And, and there will be consequences for the leaders who made those decisions. I think there's going to be, I mean, one of the most, uh, you know, one of the messages that, that I see getting, getting sent around that, that makes a, makes a, makes this hard <laughs> and, and what makes this tricky is, you know, if, if there isn't that overwhelmingness, uh, there'll be a lot of people saying that, that, that these drastic actions are the reason why we didn't have that overwhelming. And so there's not going to be, it's not going to be some clean thing where we're all on the same page. You know, after this, there's already, there's already competing nervous going on right now of, you know, most Republicans are putting the blame on on China for for being you know secretive and, and allowing it to spread faster than it should have there, but then you also have well you know Democrats are looking at you know well Donald Trump should have taken it more seriously earlier and and could have delivered uh, delivered a more consistent message. So um, I think it's. It's gonna. Be, I think you're right about the inconsistent messaging, and 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 I think that yeah, perception is probably growing, especially with independence. Um, but in terms of what November will look like, I I have no idea. Um, well, what people think about what we're currently going through, um, and what is yet to come, which I think is a very serious, deep, prolonged recession um, will be uh, what will decide the outcome of the November election. Uh, and yes, if, if, there's, uh, if stress on the health care system is avoided, then there will be those who say that um, what we did worked and uh, it was necessary to go through. Um, but uh, by that point in time, the full cost of this approach will have been experienced. Uh, and um, I think that will generate um, uh, a second look as to whether um, this all was necessary as opposed to a more focused approach that didn't have anywhere near the devastating consequences that we are just seeing the beginning of. I mean, it's, it's almost as though as people are fearful of a ramping up of the spread of the disease, uh, we're going to see a ramping up of the spread of the uh, economic dislocations and uh, the costs of that, both in economic and human terms. Right. Um, so we're, we're going to be seeing stories of businesses, um, long-time family businesses that go out, um, people who um, have lost their livelihood. So there's no question that, that, that this virus, the reaction that we took to it, and what a fuller recognition of the cost of the approach turned out to be, um, will be virtually the only issue. Uh, in in this election, because I we we are not the likelihood of us getting past um, the healthcare threat 
and getting the economy healed by November are virtually nil. Yeah. Well, hate to leave it on that note, but that's kind of where <laughs> we are right now. <laughs> uh, we usually try to talk about some sports or something lighthearted. There's no sports going on. Uh, but I have been watching some uh, NBA TV. has been playing some uh, old school games. And I watched the first half of the, I think it was 1992 finals, uh, Jordan against the Blazers. And uh, so the story of this game was in 1992, people thought that they still weren't sure if Jordan was really the best or whether maybe Clyde Drexler was 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 the best. So they they were kind of everyone was talking about that. And they asked Jordan before uh the series, you know, to kind of compare them the, him versus Drexler. And Jordan said, um, you know, people people think one one difference is maybe Drexler is considered a better three point shooter because I don't I don't choose to shoot that many three pointers. First game of the of the nineteen ninety two NBA finals, first half Jordan scores 35 points, makes at that time it was an NBA record, I think seven three-pointers in the first <laughs> half while Drexler uh, basically falls apart and airballs a three at one point. So um, I think Jordan's the greatest of all time, but it's uh, – I think that I think the Suns would have would have finished with the winning record the last parts of the uh, of the season. I think uh, who do you think would have won the championship this year? Do you think they might still have it? Have you? I mean, they're all getting tested. Maybe they'll I, all get the, clear the, and, and. I hope so. And, and and this is another place where, and I may be an outlier on this as well. That I think there was an overreaction. It seems to me it would have been. Uh, if, if you wanted to, to keep crowds away, you could have had the games and just exclude players that had uh, tested uh, positive. I'm hopeful that if we do get past this and we don't have an overrun of our ICU units, and uh, irrespective of whether the economy uh, is on its way to recovery, that the sports world uh, will try to reinstate what we have lost, that the NBA will complete its season, that we will have March Madness, even if it's in August or September, um, that we will have all four um, championships. Uh, these are important parts of public life, uh, and I think it would be unnecessary and unfortunate if we simply wiped out um, the end of all of these sports seasons. I think it would be good for the American people and its spirit, assuming that we have passed the point of crises in terms of the um, potential effect on our ICU unit capability, and we have opened up the economy. It would be good for the spirit of the American people uh, to be able to put these pageantries and displays of athletic talent um, back in gear. So this came on my radar in the very beginning when, when they first postponed the season is that Kevin Durant, who's supposed to be out for the year for an Achilles injury, and he actually has been diagnosed with 
COVID-19. But the, the, the Nets are like sixth or seventh in the East right now. So it's, it's still possible that Kevin Durant could lead his team to a championship over LeBron's Lakers. That would be or quite, maybe yeah. or maybe Kawhi's. I think I think the Clippers would probably take out the Lakers. I think it'd be Durant versus Kawhi in the finals. Wouldn't it be nice to get back to discussing those things? Yep. Well, thanks everyone for listening to the Political Notebook. Uh, you can subscribe to us on pretty much any app that you use to listen to podcasts. Thanks. <laughs>